to the Forgecast. My name's Sam Towns. And I'm Alex Norton. Before we get into today's episode, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Weber Abrasives, and it's not only excellent abrasives like Cubitrons and Seawat that they stock, they also stock a wide range of excellent tools, many of which can also be used to abrade material, like furred files, which Sam and I have talked about in the show before. So get on over to abrasives.on.net to get in touch with Weber today and stock up your workshop. Yeah, so uh, what have you been up to this week, Alex? Uh, cursing, throwing things, the usual. I uh, had my VFD on Frankie die, which mm. is a real spanner in the works of somebody who now mostly makes knives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that does suck. Yeah, thank goodness for all of my years working on a 1x30. Um I still have the one by thirty. Got a bit of a dusting off, um, but boy, it uh, it's a it's a different animal. So it's a definite vehicle. step down for sure. Yeah, when you live in backwater Tasmania, it's really hard to quickly get a hold of a new VFD. Mm. It's really it's it's hard to get quickly get a hold of a new anything really, but um, let, let alone a VFD for a two by seventy two grinder. Um, yeah, especially but, with the uh, modern economy and COVID and all that. Mm-hmm. So I've got one on the way, but I'm just going to have to make do without until then. Um, it has gotten me back to my roots with a lot of hand tool work, um, patience, um, being clever, basically, to try and get around it. Um, <laughs> what uh, what happened to clap it out? I honestly have no idea. It just died. Um, being a, um, a past electrical engineer, I even completely took it apart to try and worked at, work out what happened. And I'm not sure what caused it, but there was uh, over-voltage on some of the lines on the circuit board, and they full-on blew out. Um, what it looks like was dodgy manufacture. I don't have, or I didn't have a high-end VFD. It's not something I spent a significant amount of money on. Um, and you get what you pay for with that sort of thing, really. Um, that being said, I did not keep it in the best of conditions. Uh, you really want to try and minimize any chance of particulates or moisture getting into your VFDs. And while they did take measures around that, they were not ideal measures. So when the new one comes, I'll be taking um, extra care to mount it and uh, set it up in a bit more of a protected way and hopefully get a bit more than a year's worth of life out of it. Yeah, fair enough. So. Anything else happening on the... Uh home front still recovering from what has been the worst bout of illness i've had in 10 years um and sort of working at quarter speed because of that but getting through things i finished a pig sticker knife today that um turned out quite nice they wanted it fairly fancy and i feel like i've done that um doing that with minimal tooling made it uh, quite a challenge but it, it came out all right i'm quite happy with it um my uh, good friend Josh over at GT Edgeworks finally convinced me to send him one of my tempering jigs. I said that I wasn't going to make one for people, but um, I, he, he twisted my, my arm and I sent him one. And um, I've been 
slowly doing the finishing work on the Vitoku 2 knife with the mm. um, Boinya Bell handle. Um, but because I'm using tongue oil, that's a, it's a long process. It's not something you want to rush. Um, so I'm actually videoing the entire process of correctly finishing a knife handle um, using high-quality products. And um, it's it's going to be uh, quite a while in the making, but I'm hoping that it should be able to come out next week. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, anybody who follows my Instagram knows that I actually finished the handle on that knife a while ago. Uh, <laughs> the rest <laughs> of the time has just been letting layers of tongue oil dry. <laughs> um so yeah but i'm I'm really pleased with how it came out all that work hand sanding the ambonia burl up to 1200 grit uh has really paid off um even at this early stage so i'm very keen to see how that turns out um my song of the week this week is actually a a classic from the ramones it's bonzo goes to bitburg which i thought (laughs) would be a a poignant song at the moment because of the shenanigans going on in the US. Um, the story behind it, if people don't know, is that uh, Ronald Reagan, when he was the president, um, decided he wanted to do a ceremonial visit to the military cemetery in Western Germany where 49 Waffen SS were buried and pay his respects. Um, his visit <laughs> didn't include a single concentration camp site. <laughs> while he was there um, until so many people complained that he added um, the Bergen-Belsen site to his itinerary as a last-minute thing, and he actually did like a half-an-hour visit to it. Um, But all of America thought it was a bad idea. All of Europe thought it was a bad idea. Even Germany is like, dude, (laughs) dude, don't don't do it. And he did it anyway. Um, And it's called the Bitburg Controversy. It's uh, worth looking up. But the Ramones were so... Um, shit it off that he had gone and done this anyway that they wrote the song Bonzo Goes to Bitburg um, because Ronald Reagan before he was the president was an actor and he um, starred in movies like Bonzo Goes to Bed and things with a monkey called Bonzo um, and I think the insinuation is that the the movie title was actually referring to him <coughs> and not the monkey fair enough so it's a it's a great song a classic of the 80s um, and uh, it's, it's it's just to have something that poignant um, come up in, on my playlist, it really got me thinking about how cyclic history can be. <laughs> I'll, yes. I'll, it's, I'll, f- <laughs> it's funny because yeah. it, it reminds me of that uh, thing that was going around online recently where someone uh, had called out uh, Tom Morello for being too political. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, it he was has like, like I, a I master's can't... in political science, doesn't he? Was it, the thing was, he was like calling out Rage Against the Machine because he was like, you know, listening to the music and he's like, oh, it's too fucking political, all this political shit these days. And like, Tom Morello's like, dude, what machine, machine do you think I was raging? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know, come on, guys. Rage Against the Machine's always been political. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they have been there on the Forgecast playlist as well, a couple of times. They are, indeed. And probably will be again, because they're a great band. But, um, yeah, Ramones is old-school punk rock, like really old-school punk rock. So a um, bit, bit of a different genre to add to the uh, eclectic mix that we've got on there. So um, how about you, Sam? What's, what's your week been like? My week has been um, not fantastic, if I'm honest. Um, mm-hmm. So Friday morning, I woke up and suddenly the room was spinning around me. Um, and for the last several days, I've uh, 
had similar problems, uh, vertigo, uh, whenever I move my head in certain directions and stuff like that. I'm still absent an official diagnosis, but uh, it appears to be a benign form of uh, positional vertigo. Um, well, well, we'll see what happens with that, but uh, it's meant that I haven't really been able to keep on top of things as much as I would like, because uh, it, when, when you can't keep your balance, you can't really uh, swing a hammer, and uh, it's not safe to run most of the machines in the workshop, because... Mm. Uh, that 2x72 will kill you if you fall on it. Well, yeah, any any of the, the power tools that I run. Um, so uh, I basically had to put a lot of that on hold. I, I did finish, um, in in my very brief periods of, of good balance, I did finish uh, an axe commission Which that I'd great. taken. Yeah, it, it, it didn't come out as good as I'd like, and there were a couple of people who asked me why. Um, the, the eye was actually punched slightly canted to the blade, and no matter what I did to try and fix it, I couldn't. Um, it's not going to affect the functionality of it. It's all true and straight with the with the eye, but it's just that the eye's shoulders, the, the line of the eye, is slightly off to the blade, which means that when the customer goes to haft it, he'll have to cut the, um, the mortise that goes into the eye uh, slightly at an angle to the rest of the handle. Not ideal, but uh, it does work. I also made it a lot more work for myself because I made that axe out of 52-100 rather than 41-40 because I'm silly. And for anyone listening who's not worked 52-100 recently, um, I tried it for the first time working 52-100 and hammering it while it is yellow is almost like hammering on it when it's cold. Yeah, yeah, it's insanely hard to move. And when when you're talking uh, large cross-sections, like when you're making an axe... Uh, it becomes even more so. So mm. uh, you can imagine my frustration. Um, but it, yeah, it came out fine. It came out good. It's got a razor-sharp razor, razor sharp hard edge, which 52100 is famous for. Um, it's, you know, <laughs> I criminally undercharged for the quality of the material that I used. Um, but that's okay, because I got that material for free anyway. And, and you gave uh, him a steep discount for a canted eye. That's it. Yeah, I gave him a steep discount for my, my shit work. Um... But, uh, yeah, other than that, it's been mostly concentrating on trying to keep myself alive. Um, I did uh, re-haft a couple of my hammers. I'm not sure if I mentioned that in the last show. No. Um, yeah, I, I had a couple of hammers that lost their handles uh, a while ago, one of them being the uh, the hammer that I engraved with our motto. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I snapped the handle off that probably four months ago, five months ago, and uh, I hadn't re it. Yeah, so I... I saw a video from uh, Adam from Speargrass Forge, and he was rehafting a couple of hammers, and he actually went uh, to the trouble of rehafting a French cross peen in the correct orientation because I had told him that he had mounted it in the wrong orientation. Uh, and after, after watching that video, I had to I had to go out and rehaft my hammers, um, especially because I've been very angry with myself being a hammer maker having no hammers like <laughs> um i was very grateful to bob from bnb forge for sending me a diagonal pin hammer yeah it looked uh, great yeah it's it's been a lifesaver because it's been basically the only other hammer i've had other than my uh my dog my dog set my uh, english cutlass hammer which my english cutlass hammer is my favorite hammer but it doesn't do everything that i needed it to do hmm. And as I'm getting back into making axes and and stuff like that again, I'm realizing that I really need uh, several different styles of hammer 
Uh, and so I need to work on getting those. Luckily, I have some wonderful friends who are all hammer makers who are willing to trade with me for uh, gear that I can make or are just willing to donate like Bob did. Uh, it's been fantastic um, from that end because uh, most of the time that I spend in the shop, I have to devote to making stuff that I can sell so that I can afford to uh, you know, keep paying the bills. It's that whole thing, though. Mechanics drive the worst cars, really. I mean, show oh, yeah. me a blacksmith that actually has all exquisite tooling. Yeah, yeah. So the, the cobbler's children have no shoes. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, and, you know, because I spent a week and a half making uh, custom tongs for myself, and I'm only about, uh, you know, a third of the way through my tong sets, um, I, I basically sacrificed that week and a half worth of pay for uh, for that collection, and now I don't have any money, and I don't have half the tools I still need uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah you, you kind of work yourself into a corner if you spend all your time making tools for yourself because while you're improving your uh, tooling you're also putting yourself behind on payments if you uh, you know don't have any money coming in one uh, solution to that that I've discovered recently is to give my day off uh, a day each week to, to work on something that's just for me yeah, and, and that's something I'll probably do in the near future for myself is start organizing a single day to, to start working on, on projects for myself and for the shop uh, to tool up or die, as Niels would yeah. say. Oh, he's but, somewhere he's proud. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. But um, yeah, so it, that's been that's been my main focus. Um, and yeah, obviously just trying to get better. Um, I have a doctor's appointment tomorrow, so we'll, we'll find out more in the next episode as to what was ailing me mm-hmm. um but yeah my my song of the week this week is uh in uh true sam fashion i'm i'm going off the beaten path again um and i'm mixing uh my my one of my favorite genres of music country with uh a little bit of uh metal mm-hmm. i suppose you could call it metal it's rock metal country kind of thing the song's called drink with the living dead that's by a, a band called ghoul town um and uh it's i don't remember how i found the song i think it was just one of those times when i was letting youtube autoplay and it just kind of happened to come across my feed because i listen to so much country and western that's how you get to the weird part of youtube that's it well it was basically western metal um and it's a it's a story song so it's you know one of my favorite styles of song um about a, a you know undead gunman who uh challenges a, a stranger at a bar to uh, to a drinking contest and uh you know the all kinds of shenanigans ensue so uh, <laughs> yeah it's, it's pretty cool I, I it's very catchy so um i highly recommend it it's yeah. also got a really cool bass line so yeah that helps yeah so um before we get into today's inspirations, I believe we have a listener email. We do. Not a question, um, but it's from our buddy Seth Wood. How you going, Seth? Hey, Seth. He says, Hi, Alex and Sam. I don't have a question as such. Just wanted to say that I enjoyed episode 45. Your discussion on heat stress, hydration, and our homeostatic set point brought up very pertinent points. One that I had forgotten was cold sweats, which is an important one to remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks, guys, for raising awareness, Seth. Cheers, Seth. Thanks for writing in, Seth. We do aim to educate wherever possible, and um, ourselves and others. <laughs> yeah, Sam still lives in Perth. I lived in Brisbane for a good long while, and yeah, there's uh, 
getting too hot is a very very bad thing and it's and it's funny you should say that because um you know being winter you know you don't tend to associate uh you know dehydration with cold weather but Mm. one of the things about cold weather is that it gets very dry um, very because uh all of that moisture is you know completely pushed out of the air so you don't have any humidity humidity which means that there's no moisture in the air and so therefore you go dry very quickly Unless you live in Tasmania, where you'll get like negative four degrees with ninety-eight percent humidity. Yeah, that's that's just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> when your anvil is covered in a thin sheet of ice because it has pulled moisture out of the air and then frozen on it. Yep. <laughs> it's not a good morning. No, no, that doesn't sound like a good morning. But yeah, um, dehydration isn't just a thing that happens during summer. Uh, it's something to stay aware of all the time. Absolutely. So, inspirations of the week, Sam. Who's yours this week? So, mine is uh, someone who actually reached out to me uh, in response to a challenge that I put out on my YouTube channel a long time ago. Um, my Skyrim Blacksmiths Challenge, um, where you take a, a pound of steel and a pound of leather, or technically just one leather strip, <laughs> no matter how long. And, uh, and make a, a dagger in, uh, in its entirety and only use hand tools, um, only use traditional tools. Uh, and uh, this, this person um, decided to take on the challenge um, and, and you know, messaged me to let me know that he was and uh, sent me a link to his YouTube channel. And he's decided to take this uh, to the next level. And when yeah. I say the next level, I, I used known steel and, you know... <laughs> I, I kind of cheated. I didn't try and go too fancy. I just made a standard Quillen dagger. He's made a billet of bloomery steel, and he's wrapped it as an edge bar around a core of wrought iron, and then he's used that as the billet to start his dagger, and he's also forging the dagger to the dimensions of the actual in-game dagger. That is intense. Oh, man. And, like... I, I, it's it's strange because I'd never heard of him, but I've looked at uh, I've looked him up, and he is incredibly talented. Um, this myth's name is uh, Joel Venerholm. It's um, W E N E R H O L M. Uh, he goes by at Danocraft Bender, so D A N O C R A F T B E N D E R on Instagram. And he runs the YouTube channel called Smithfix, which is just S M I T H E F I X. Right. And one of the things that really inspired me about Joel's uh, work is that he puts—you can tell—he puts effort into every aspect of the job. So you know, watching his um, his series on doing the uh, the Skyrim Dagger Challenge, he's um, his editing, his filming his you know all of the the photography and stuff like that that he's doing is all crisp sharp and really really nice and you can tell he's trying to make improvements as he goes and his forgings are stupid clean <laughs> like uh, i i watched um he sent me the second part a couple of weeks ago and i only just watched it the other day because i've been so busy and i completely forgot um uh, and sorry joel if you ever listen to this um <laughs> but i did watch it and uh his his attention to detail when it comes to forging and when it comes to everything else that he does is just so on point and uh he's very unassuming like it's he's not 
you know, super up himself or anything like that. He's very, you know, low-key. Uh, his channel, I believe, only has, like, 200 subscribers. Um, we need to fix that, everybody. That's it. You all need to go over to Smithafix right now and subscribe. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, he just seems like a genuinely nice dude, and he's also doing some amazing work. Uh, he uses a coal forge. Uh, his workshop is something that I would love to steal. Um, <laughs> he's got some pretty awesome gear. And looking at his Instagram, he's done stuff like, um, you know, Damascus blades and, uh, you know, feather Damascus and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, I haven't had enough time to, to look all the way through it, but he seems to be doing a, an amazing job. Uh, and I definitely think he deserves uh, more attention that he's getting because his content is better than mine. I'll, I will say that outright. <laughs> 143 subscribers. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, 144 now. 144 now. <laughs> You're welcome, Joel. But yeah, no, I mean, I was surprised because uh, when he sent me that link, um, you know, like I, I expected someone who was trying it in their backyard or something like that, but he is a fully professional blacksmith uh, and his work is stellar. So um, definitely worth it, definitely worth looking up if you're interested in that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And props to him for taking the challenge to that next level. Like, I, that's like making, that's several levels above. That's not yeah. Like I, when I say like, when I say <laughs> next when I say next level, that's that's like jumping from from a remote control airplane to a Boeing seven four seven. You know, that's like it. <laughs> now you just need to convince him to send you some of that bloomery steel. Oh, mate! <laughs> In my wildest dreams. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, who is your inspiration this week, Alex? Mine's actually a past guest on the show. Um, I've been following him since he was brought up on the show. Unfortunately, I hadn't known of him beforehand, um, but I've followed him very eagerly since. And that's uh, David Delegadel, um, who goes by Cedarlaw on Instagram. And recently, he put up a video casually put up as he does um of this north myth norse myth inspired uh, dead dragon themed sacks that he'd made um the blade for it was actually forged by emiliano carrillo uh, which is the uh, sun and stars forge on instagram mm -hmm. but david did the rest and it's the rest that made my breath literally be taken away when i saw it um the handle that he made is ornately carved uh, in the Norse fashion, the leather sheath that he made for it is tooled correctly um, to match the carving on the handle and the con the continuation of the flow of the design goes through it. The aged brass fittings on the, the sheath that actually line the entire bladed edge. Um, it's just stunning. He made a wooden case that go a felt lined wooden case that perfectly fits it. It's just one of the most stunning creations I've ever seen on Instagram uh, to my tastes that sort of speaks to me and, uh, and my heritage with the, black, uh, the, the Vikings on both sides of my family. It just shouted everything that I needed to hear at that moment. And I've, I just stared at it and watched. Like he must have seen the view count on that video spike that day. And it was just me watching it over and over and over again. Just absolutely incredible it's not often that a piece that you see i mean we we see a lot of stunning work we follow a lot of very talented um smiths and and blade makers out there but 
some pieces, and I think we've talked about this before, some pieces just have presence mm. when you see them. It, it's sort of they, they stand out above everything else and it's a it's an intangible quality about them that makes it so. It's not something that you'd be able to actually point out and say, ah, oh, yes, it's this that does it. It's just the piece in its entirety is is as perfect as it has to be to achieve that and what he did with that. It literally took my breath away. Words can't describe it for me. So seeing that piece just made me want to make more beautiful things and um, it has made me want to do a little bit more of a Norse inspiration, like tap into my heritage a bit more in my own design uh, on future projects. So, yeah, it was uh, literally inspired me um, from the moment I saw it. And uh, I, I cannot thank him enough for doing something so beautiful and, and sharing it publicly. I'd love to see more of it if he, if he ever had, because he only sort of put up the one, one video about it. Mm. And uh, I'd love to see more. Yeah, David's work is uh, is spectacular, and uh, those of you who've uh, listened to the show, uh, listened to the episode where Niels and I um, interviewed David, uh, hopefully you followed him from there, but his work has always been stunning. Mm, I was unfortunately absent from that episode, but... Um... Hopefully we can get him back on the show again, and uh, you'll have the opportunity to talk to him then. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And um, you, you hear that, David? Hopefully, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> we want you back, buddy. Yeah, mind blowing stuff. Absolutely mind blowing stuff. But now that I've finished gushing over that incredibly exquisite piece, that brings us in to tool time. Tool time. Whether you're wanting to take your first steps into knife making or you're a seasoned bladesmith, Creative Man is the place you want to go to stock up on all the best steels, handle materials, hardware and gizmos to get you doing your best work. Check out their easy-to-use website at creativeman.com.au and stock up today. So this week we're talking about a tool which we surprisingly haven't brought up before and it was something that occurred to me very suddenly that uh, I use daily absolutely daily uh, in all manners of my work and that is water yes an incredibly powerful and versatile tool in a metalsmith's workshop I mean we all have I mean I've made my jokes about the mank tanks that we all have (laughs) the old water quench buckets or slack tubs that we have but we use it to um, contain grinder sparks we use it to cool our work we use it for interrupted water quenches we um, use it for heat isolation in solid fuel forges which we've talked about before um, hydration is super important as Santa Sam he even uses it when the blue ninja comes out sometimes <laughs> yep it's also handy to have for fire management if things get out of hand. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, like, when it comes to heat isolation, talking about, you know, like, uh, isolating heats on a bar for upsetting and stuff like that and for bending. Mm, or twists. Yep. Yeah, it's um, incredibly just, versatile. It's, it's also a very powerful tool. If it's misused, you can actually um, do quite a lot of damage. You can put yourself at quite a lot of risk. Um, yeah, if you dump your VFD into it, it'll definitely do a number on it. Yeah, but sometimes the water isn't in a contained environment. Sometimes it gets somewhere where it's not supposed to be. Like, um, And a VFD is a good example of this. If you have a shed that you work out of 
what if a leak forms and it mm. rains and that leak drips into the vents on your VFD on your grinder can kill it so managing water is not always something uh, it doesn't always come in the way that you think it might um, because just like we were talking about you don't want to pass out on top of a 2x72 because a 2x72 while it is a useful tool can also be a dangerous tool water is the same um, if you're a beginner Anyone? Huh? Anyone who's anyone who's forged a blade and mid-forging has accidentally dropped it into their slack tub knows how damaging water can be <laughs> <laughs> when you pick up three shards of your blade. I have also seen beginners uh, or heard stories of beginners who have panicked when a coal forge has gotten out of control because um, the fire gets too high and they think that throwing water on it is a good idea. Mm. It's a very bad idea. Yeah, we've spoken about that before. Mm, and getting that glamour shot that a lot of blacksmiths like to do where they put a bit of water on the anvil um, <laughs> and then strike hot steel on it and it creates that arc, that flaming arc. Guitar. Very dangerous to do. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, water on your anvil and your hammer has been used traditionally in blacksmithing for centuries. It's a great way to blow scale off the sides of your steel if you use it in a controlled way. So it's definitely something that's worth having in your mind i mean everybody has it in their shop but they don't think about how it can be used and misused and how it can actually lead to damaging you or your work yeah and i mean it it is something that we take for granted and that's one of the things i like about this uh this segment for us is that we do cover things that people don't necessarily consider as tools like i mean i you know when you brought this up this afternoon before we started the recording i was kind of like oh yeah actually that makes sense Mm. um it's it's quite funny when when you think about it so yeah it's, it's very important to be aware of what tools you have and what you don't have and what can be classified as a tool um you know, and, and in some cases, you, you'll have tools that are uh, ubiquitous, like water, like, you know, uh, a, set, a hammer. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and some of those tools can be, you know, relatively uh, intricate and, and expensive, and some of them can be relatively cheap and, you know, um, inexpensive. And sometimes that, that price doesn't really make a difference. Um but sometimes it does. And, and that... here we have Sam <laughs> delicately sliding into our topic of the week. I, I love trying to work out ways to segue into <laughs> the, the, the different things. I'm sorry, guys. It's a habit of mine. So as um, Sam was so eloquently working out, our uh, topic of the week is actually one that we have sort of alluded to a lot. And anybody that's talked to Sam or I for more than 30 seconds has probably had us mention... <laughs> and it's the simple fact that in any workshop there are certain tools that you can buy cheap you can get away with buying cheap and there are certain tools that you just can't and this is a poignant thing especially for beginners because they're setting up a workshop trying to do it on the cheap not everybody has like you know rich mummy and daddy that'll buy them anything that their little heart desires you know, some people or most people start out with next to nothing, a set of ice grips, a coal forge made out of a steel bucket and a ball peen hammer that they picked up at a flea market for 50 cents, which is, ex- I'm describing me here. <laughs> I mean, you know, it not, doesn't necessarily need to be a rich mommy and daddy. Some people can, uh, you know, have a workshop built from 
what they're earning at their job, but some of us don't have the uh, the spare you know money to to put into that from their work because they're paying bills and stuff like that, and so they buy a cheap anvil off Gumtree and you know they build a charcoal forge out of a old uh, rusted work table and they use a claw hammer to forge with. I'm talking it's about him me describing him. <laughs> 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 but the thing is, over time, um, especially when you're trying to do it on the cheap, over time you start getting ideas in your head without it being based on any sort of reality that you need to get the best of things. And many, in many instances, it's just not the case. But mm. it, you know, the other way, on the other side of that coin, a lot of the times you think, oh, it's it's just this tool it'll be fine i'll be able to buy it cheap and then it won't work properly and you'll either blame yourself or say you're not able to learn it or you're just not any good but really there's that old saying that it's a poor craftsman who blames his tools but some tools can't be bought cheap and be expected to perform um and so we want to try and clear the air on some of those um make it clear as mud yeah, one of them, what what really sort of inspired me to bring this up as a topic of the week is that this week I actually got a set of um, third needle files um, from mm. Weber Abrasives. Um, and using them after using various other brands of needle files, I can tell you that this is I'm using needle files for the first time. <laughs> what I have used in the past are not needle files. They are needle file-shaped objects. They, <laughs> the difference is night and day and unfortunately you pay for third files you do I'd Indeed. been using the full size third files for a while now and it's the same with them it's, and it's made me very clear that you get what you pay for with files <laughs> and that, you can't, that doesn't mean you can't get some budget files that you know don't, don't perform pretty well they're, they're well, out I mean, there but it's I have, you know, I, I've I've had that set of Trojan needle files for a while now, and they they do the job. I mean, they don't do it well, but they do the job. <laughs> uh, and I mean, sometimes sometimes when it comes to that kind of thing, it's better to have uh, a crap tool than no tool. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and we we don't want to advise you against uh, buying what your means will allow, but if you really want to improve your game, files is one place where you really can't skimp on the money. Um, because if you're filing stuff, that normally means that you're doing a lot of things by hand, which means that you want to be spending less time doing that. And the better quality your files, the less time you spend filing. Yeah, you get more cut for each push than, and, and a cleaner cut for each push. Yeah, clean is a big thing. You're not tearing up the surface of the steel. Whereas you go to the other end of the spectrum and um, hammers you can actually do quite a lot. I mean, it's good to get the better hammers. Obviously, there is a big difference between cheap hammers and bad hammers. But you're not impeding your workflow by using a cheaper hammer. Whereas a bad file can actually mess up your work. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I mean, uh, a cheap hammer can be adjusted, you know, like can be can be uh, ground and, and, and reheat treated if needed. Mm. Um to become a better tool, whereas files, you really can't do that. Yeah. Um, there are people online who will tell you that you can sharpen a file with acid, uh, sulfuric or hydrochloric or something, 
what you can do is uh, you know shorten the life of your file by using <laughs> acid. Um, if it's really gummed up with um, with shavings that just won't come loose with a wire brush, then the acid will eat away those little bits in, in there and quote unquote sharpen your file. But you'll never actually sharpen a file uh, acidically. Mm. Um, <laughs> it's just unfortunately, it's just a, a reality. So one of the um, tools that I've noticed that. Um cost does count and you can't really get away without is uh, grinder belts mm. um, one of the tropes that most people do and I fell into this is you go on eBay and you see hey I can order Alox belts from China and they're like you know 60 cents each it's like you can <laughs> but, <laughs> but should you mm, the, there's big problems with them like the, the seam will bust on them the backing is so weak that you will get tears on them and then they'll flap wildly or just snap and, and give you road rash. Um, they will have the abrasive disappear within seconds of use. Um, they're just not worth it. It's, uh, people see that, uh, you know, maybe, maybe $2 a belt and then they'll see something like, you know, Norton abrasives or Cubitrons at like 12 to $15 a belt. And they think, well, I'm going to go with the cheap ones. I'll buy heaps of them and that, that way I, I can just go through them all. And really it doesn't equate. It's a, it's a what do they call it? A um, false economy? False equivalency. Yeah, it's just not the same. So, yeah. um, but that being said, I'm talking 2x72s. You go down to a 1x30 grinder and you're using it for handle shaping and things like that those cheap chinese alox belts work fine yeah you're absolutely. not you're not dealing with the same torque you're not dealing with the same power um and especially if you're working with wood uh by mm. handle shaping and things um a one by 30 can handle those belts and you get quite a bit of life out of them they're, they're not bad yeah, even if you have a VFD-driven uh, 2x72, you can run those Alox belts for handle shaping and stuff like that. Much as long smaller. as you run them, yeah, as long as you run them at a little slow speed so that mm. they don't bust up as fast. But yeah, they're, they're, it's definitely one of those places where um, I, I originally fell into that trap where I was like, I'll buy lots of the the cheap belt and you know make do. But honestly, the same amount of money in cheap belts still wouldn't get me as good a result or as long of a life as one expensive belt. Hmm. You know, one one Cubitron from Rob has lasted me five of the uh, the Chinese ceramics. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I had a friend of mine who was selling uh, ceramic belts from China for a while, and he was selling them at five bucks a belt. Uh, <laughs> and they were terrible. They, they didn't last at all. They didn't give very good finishes. Um, they burnished rather than uh, breaking the ceramic, so you you didn't tend to get a retooth of the belt, which is what mm -hmm. ceramics are supposed to do. Um, so yeah, it's, you definitely get what you pay for when it comes to ceramic uh, to, to well not ceramics to, to belts in general. And uh, I actually did a video on my YouTube channel about belt tick or uh, belt bump, mm. and uh, talking about how uh, when you're running a grinder, you'll normally feel that tack 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 of the of the seam. You don't but feel that in Cubitrons. You don't. You don't feel that on most of the high price belts, Kling Spores, um, Nortons, uh, Cubitrons, those kinds of belts. You, you're not. You're not going to get it because they take the time to get their splices uh, down to a proper thickness for the splice and for the seam itself. 
so that it's all one thickness and you don't get that belt bump. Um, whereas most of the cheap ones will just overlay the two pieces and glue them together, mm. which A, makes a cheaper seam, uh, but B, also makes a, a much larger thickness than the rest of the belt, which is why it's such a, an obvious bump yeah. on the platen. One uh, tool that comes up in a lot of the beginner groups that um, for cutting up handle materials, a lot of people like to post. It's it's always the same tool, just rebranded differently. You know how there's like one model that like 18 different brands always use and they put their colors on it uh, of hmm. bandsaw, wood bandsaw. Yeah, yeah. It's like a mini bandsaw. Um, and they're always asking the same thing. Is this okay? For, for handle materials and the answer is yes the, <laughs> the blade that it comes with is going to be terrible get some good blades but they're basically i think they're like 14 40 millimeter bandsaw blades they're i think so plentifully available on ebay and everything and they've got a tiny dinky little like 475 watt engine on them or something um and it's just if you're cutting up handle blocks, it's more than enough. If you're going to go into start doing carpentry and doing like, you know, box work and <laughs> things like that, it's not enough. Not no. even close. But for, you know, sub 30 mil thick material, yeah, no problems whatsoever. You get a ripping blade and a cross cut blade for that thing and you'll be good as gold and you can pick those things up for like 130 bucks absolutely and this is a tool that will last for a very long time um however it's not always that clear cut that something's either worth it or not and i've been finding that out as i've been bemoaning with my uh, drill press or bench drill Mm. when you're first starting out then you're doing basic work a cheap drill press or, or bench drill is fine does the job you know you pick them up for like 80 or 90 bucks and you get quite a surprising amount of work done with it. As soon as you start needing past a certain level of precision, you need to invest. Yeah. It's just just a fact. And I think and I think that's a, a, a very good point to make is that a lot of the time when you're talking about, you know, like buying expensive tooling, precision is the biggest like the, the biggest impetus, the biggest motivator. Because like if you buy a cheap spanner you know, for instance, most people know what a cheap spanner feels like, <laughs> uh, and you're only using it around the house and stuff like that. And then you get your hands on a really expensive, like a Sid Chrome, yeah, like a Sid Chrome or you know one of those um, really your high quality Manigranda spanner. <laughs> uh, you get you get the sense of the difference because you know the the jaw doesn't have any slop in it. Like if it's a if it's a shifter, for instance. Um, you know, the jaw doesn't have any slop in it. It grips the nut really well and, and it doesn't slip off the nut all the time when you're trying to tighten the bastard. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, and that comes down to a lot of things. Like you can buy a relatively cheap vernier caliper um, and it'll get the job done when you're doing, you know, rough fitting and, and getting general dimensions and stuff. But then when you come to doing fine, um, you know, like hidden tang fit ups for guards, like we were talking about last week, if you're using a cheap crap vernier caliper that you know doesn't even have a dial in it or a, or a digital readout, then it's not going to give you the accurate readings that you need. Um, yeah, anybody so, that's actually gone shopping for a vernier caliper, they would have noticed that some of them are eight dollars, some of them are one hundred and eighty dollars. Yeah. There is a reason why <laughs> they may look the same, but they're not. 
that's that's it and i mean um so when it comes to to tooling um you can buy the cheap stuff uh but it's not going to hold up when you're like it, it might be at your ability level now <laughs> but it won't be at your ability level when you get better you know like mm. and and so while i don't always advise people to buy for where they want to be uh, because, you know, sometimes it's out of your reach. Like, you know, I, I would love to buy a $15,000 mill and have it in my workshop. Uh, uh, but A, I don't have $15,000 to spend, and B, I don't have a place for my for the mill to go. <laughs> um, and, you know, I don't need it right now, because that's not the kind of work that I'm doing. But I do eventually want to be able to do that kind of work. So it's something I have to keep in mind for the future, is that I will be looking at something like that. Um, and it's how you it, are planning on using the tool as well, not just what you're going to be using it for. Yeah, exactly. Um, table saws, I find, are a perfect example of this. Not very relevant in the blacksmithing field, but it's usually a tool that's commonly found in a lot of workshops. Um, when you first get a table saw, you use it for cross-cutting and ripping timber, long, long segments of timber, or getting angled cuts or canted mm -hmm. cuts. But as soon as you start getting into advanced table saw work and start building sleds for it, the importance of the alignment of the fence mm. become like exponentially more important. Um, so it's that's the sort of a, a really good example, like the drill press. You know, it was it's if if you just need to put holes through things that are relatively straight. That's great. It's like vernier calipers. If you need to get measurements that are within a tolerance of 0.1 mil, that's great. But eventually you're going to need more. Yep. That's it. And I mean, when you buy cheap, when it comes to power tools especially, when you buy cheap, you're buying short life normally. Um, like, no, that's not always the case, but in the majority of the time, if you ask, ask a tradesman, the cheaper it goes, the less life you get out of it. And there is an old saying in, you know, the tradesman realm, which is buy once, cry once. <laughs> uh, so if you, if you don't desperately need a tool right now to do something, then it's often worth taking the time to save up for a be better quality version of what you're looking at. Um, I yeah, kind of wish actually... that I'd been able to do that with my drill press. <laughs> That actually brings up a, an interesting point. A lot of people will look to people for advice on tool brands, for example. Um, and if you were to, like my, my entire workshop is stocked with largely Ryobi tools. You tell, you tell any tradesman that and they'll laugh at you and tell you that they're garbage. However, I would never ask a tradesperson for advice on what tools to buy because a tradesperson is hammering the shit out of their tools six days a week for 10 hours a day. Mm. I will never be in that situation no matter how busy my workload gets. And so it's the wrong person to ask because it's a wrong environment to be asking them about. I have a full suite of Roby tools. I have had one die in over seven years Yeah, of using them every day but I mean, not to, to the extent that a tradesman would. Because if I did, if I put them through that kind of hell, they would have all died in the first year. Because Ryobi <laughs> is not built for that. 
Yeah, our, our old school listeners will know that um, I have a Ryobi uh, angle grinder, and uh, Niels actually gave me crap for having a Ryobi angle grinder because he'd had like five of them or something, and they'd all broken down. And mine actually lasted so long that I burned the uh, burned the brushes out of it, yep. and ended up replacing the brushes with an old pet, a new set from um, one that had broken down for a friend of mine. And that thing ran until I actually cracked the body on it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's one of those age-old battles. Like, um, I actually use a welder that is from Azito, um, hmm. and it does the job fine. Yeah. And it's because I'm not thrashing it to the level. And people are like, oh, you need to get yourself a SIG weld. And it's like, yeah, but I'm not welding old. I'm not a welder. It's not my job. I don't do it all the time. I use it to tack rio handles onto billets of steel and it does like i mean i don't i don't run my angle grinder for more than like you know maybe 30 minutes at a Mm. time to cut bars of steel in half like i don't i'm not one of those guys working on a you know mine site where i'm cutting you know a hundred thousand lengths of rio a day yeah exactly (laughs) and i mean of all of the i have a full suite of ryobi tools i have every tool that they make practically (laughs) i'm like a ryobi whore Hashtag uh, they, not sponsored by Robo. They, <laughs> they should sponsor me. I've got so many <laughs> Roby tools that I've practically kept them in business for the last seven years. I, you know, I honestly and, wouldn't be mind being sponsored by Ryobi. They do make some pretty <laughs> decent tools. But that's the thing. They cop so much flack, but only from tradespeople. And it makes no sense because Ryobi has never claimed to be a tool company for tradespeople. Get no, they're, the they're a high-class homework yeah, kind of... That's, Exactly. It's it's for the DIYer. And frankly, the torture that we put our tools through will never come to that level, even on mm-hmm. our best day in, or worst day, however you want to look at it. It's just never going to get to that. In seven years, or well, it's actually eight now, the only one of my Aerobi tools I've ever had to replace was my angle grinder, and it's because I use it the hardest and the most of all of my tools. Um, and frankly, the torque and power that an angle grinder works under the mm. innards of the angle grinder have probably been under the most duress out of any of the tools yeah they, they tear themselves apart from the inside it's one yeah. of the reasons why they're one of the most more cheap tools you can buy that's right <laughs> i mean i um and it's funny because i went and recently and bought a battery powered drill which i'd never had before i've never had a cordless drill uh but i needed one because i keep screwing things to walls and stuff like that and I was doing my shop refit and I needed something that I could use to to put up all the hooks and stuff like that that I wanted to put up in my shed and you go to your hardware store and normally you'll have one section with you know like home hardware kind of stuff and then you'll have the tradesman aisle mm. and there's a very distinct difference in pricing yes <laughs> You know, like, uh, for instance, here in here in Australia, in, in Bunnings, you go and there's the Ozito and Ryobi, and then there's the AEG and, you know, DeWalt and Milwaukee and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Ryobi will be the most expensive stuff on the Ozito and Ryobi bench. <laughs> yeah. But the most expensive Ryobi will be half of the price of the cheapest AEG. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, you know, there is a reason for that. The AEGs are, you know, have uh, more torque. They've, you know, been better designed, better built to withstand being absolutely thrashed for forever, tossed into wheelbarrows, covered in cement, <laughs> you know, like 
thrown around and stuff like that. They are built to last. Yeah. But for a guy who's going to hang his on a wall, and it's probably only ever going to see minor grinder dust from across the room from my 2x72, and it's going to, you know, screw in a bunch of tech screws one day and then sit on the wall for another six months before it gets used again, I don't need something that's going to be able to withstand being thrashed for an eternity. Yeah. And, and when it comes to, like, the Ryobi angle grinder, I've, you know, I ran that thing, I used to cut, well, I still do, cut 40 millimeter um, bars of 4140 with that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll make three cuts, and it'll get too hot to handle, and I'll just put it down and let it cool down before I go again. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that, that Ryobi angle grinder lasted me five years. So, yeah. you know, if I can get five years out of something that's not built to last, you know, that long then i'm i'm pretty happy i hate cables as i have outlined in our cable management video and Mm -hmm. so if i can get a cordless version of something i have it i have cordless circular saws i have cordless reciprocating saws cordless everything and let me tell you the batteries that came with my original set of roby tools from eight years ago still work (laughs) just fine I there actually thought they were dying the other day uh, because I've got one of those six-pack chargers that wall mounts yep. and it actually tells you the health of the batteries and hmm. um, the old ones all slowly, one after the other, stopped charging. And it's like, oh, that sucks. But when I come in from the from an evening, I turn my workshop power off um, so that I, you know, I'm just paranoid like that. I actually forgot one night and left it on all night. And when I went out the next morning, the uh, charger had actually healed the batteries and they worked fine oh, again. <laughs> sweet. I'm still I mean, using them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've um, I've used battery-powered angle grinders and that's one place where I really don't like to go battery-powered. Because mm, the, the, uh, the torque's just not the same. Oh man, it, they're so weak. They're yeah. so weak. And uh, the other thing I found was uh, battery-powered drills. Uh, when it comes to certain applications... <clears throat> you really just can't go past a corded drill. Mm. Um, luckily, I have a twenty-year-old uh, <laughs> Hitachi <laughs> that that uh, you know it still runs. Uh, doesn't run in reverse very well, <laughs> but it still runs. Who and does that thing, really? Yeah, that's, that's that thing still works. Actually, my dad gave me uh, his old drop saw, um, which is another Hitachi, uh, and that thing's older than I am. Yep. <laughs> he bought it. He bought it the year before I was born. <laughs> and that still runs perfectly so yeah so i mean it's it's definitely check who you're asking when you're asking for advice on tools because it's sort of you could it it depends on the field of the person that you're asking um yeah it really does there are there are other things that that do make a difference like uh i spoke about mills earlier yeah. And Mills is one of those places where uh, the price really does make a difference. Well, it doesn't you, matter at what level. You get a mill for precision. Like, you don't yeah. get a mill for anything other than precision. So, if you buy a cheap mill, you are cheaping out on yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I've, I've spoken to a lot of people, because I looked at getting an Optimill, uh, one of those little benchtop mills, for a long time. Because I thought, oh, I'm only cutting guard slots and stuff like that. And I've spoken to a few people who do machining for a living... And I've also spoken to a few people who just own an OptiMill. And pretty much everyone tells me, don't bother, because the head uh, the, the head on them has flex in it. 
So unless you're taking very, very microscopic cuts and you're using very, very small cutters, you're always going to have Wanda in your holes. Right. And I was like, okay, so don't buy a freaking Optimill. <laughs> like, don't buy one of those little benchtop mills because at the end of the day, I, I do want to eventually do like facing cuts on, you know, on blocks of steel and stuff like that to be able to marry them up uh, for forge welds and things like that. And you can't do that if the head is flexing. <laughs> No. So sometimes it pays to buy, you know, a good quality tool. Like, it's the same with lathes. You don't want to buy a cheap lathe because you don't want it to fall apart. Mm-hmm. And you also want it to run concentric. You don't want it to run, you know, kind of ovoid. Yes. <laughs> a, a rave that... A, a rave? A lathe that rattles. <laughs> a rave that rattles. Yeah, no, no. A, a, a lathe that rattles um, is not a good lathe. No. So yeah, I mean, when you're coming to precision machinery, um, it definitely pays to buy the more expensive versions. One thing that I've found actually quite surprising is that um, we've all seen how expensive drill bits can get, Mm. Uh, especially drill bits that are good at going through hardened steel and stainless and, and such. However, I've brought this up in a past episode, you can buy cheap locksmith TCT drill bits um, from China that outperform even like Sutton Viper pluses and things easily and they cost about oh maybe 80 cents each <laughs> yeah and you can get them in any any diameter that you want um, and I was shocked to find this out because I have burnt so much money on drill bits in my day it's crazy <laughs> I have the worst luck with drill bits, mainly because of my terrible drill press. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I actually, um, I snapped my uh, my six and a half mil uh, cobalt drill bit the other week, and I almost cried because they're very expensive. Very expensive. Uh, I ended up going out and buying two more. <laughs> I'd forgotten about the tungsten carbide ones. I should get a set of those. Oh, absolutely. I buy them in bulk because I, I still go through them. <laughs> <laughs> As yeah, you well, do, it doesn't unfortunately, matter. The higher the hardness they are, the more likely they are to snap. Um, yeah, and you get a little bit impatient, or you think, "Oh, the cutting fluid's over there. I'm not going. I'm just going to go for it." You know. Yeah. And ah, oh, then all of a sudden, boohoo! You know, and you blame everything except yourself. <laughs> That's it. But you yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, the the high hardness bits are really good for drilling through hardened steel, but they're also more brittle, much like a hardened blade. The yep. uh, the harder the blade is, the more likely it is to be subject to fracture. That's right. So, but I mean, if you're if, if those things you can buy cheap, the locksmith drill bits, um, they, they look kind of like a small masonry bit, mm. and they are cheap compared to what is out there, and they work brilliantly like really really well i even have brine quenched steel to test it i brine quenched a file mm-hmm. and it just went through it like butter nice amazing i couldn't believe it although because they are cheaply manufactured if you for every maybe 20 you buy you might find one or two that are just badly manufactured yeah they're just tell terrible yeah it's just one of those things that you do when you when you're buying bulk from china really uh, for low low prices um so that's unfortunate but true because it's so cheap you can afford to have that happen it's just they're so cheap buy 20 of them they'll last you for months 
I mean, you just get your favorite sizes. I get three mils and six mils, and off I go. And, it, you know, it does me. I've got a little... I made a special mounting bracket for my tool shelf that I can um, put them in, and I can see when I'm getting low, so I can order more in. I used to be Good able point. to get them in here in Australia, um, but they were being imported from China and because of the current economy. Uh, you can't get them in Australia anymore. You have to order them directly from China, so it takes weeks... Yeah, Weeks. so you may as well order in bulk. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, and that's um, and that's one of the advantages of buying, of buying cheap stuff. When it comes to stuff like drill bits and stuff like that, buying bulk lots of cheap drill bits isn't going to hurt you in the long run, um, unless, of course, you're talking about like you know uh, hardened steel drill bits where you're mm-hmm. trying to drill through hardened steel, um, which I highly advise. Even if you drill before heat treat you're going to come across blades that have developed carbides in the handle and you will not be able to drill through them. So just buy cobalt or TCT uh, locksmith drill bits to get through that because it's much easier to drill soft material with a hard bit than it is to drill hard material with a soft bit. Those carbides are the bane of my existence. I swear I have like a comical level of bad luck with finding them. <laughs> yeah, you could drill an entire circle around the spot that you originally chose it's to drill. It's like playing <laughs> freaking Minesweeper with me. Yeah, except that every first try you hit a bomb. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what it is. Like The amount of knives that I have out there where if you were to actually like break the scales off, you would see like a divot at like five mil away from where the pin actually goes through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've I've been like that myself. Like I've even found spots that the cobalt drill bits won't go through. Mm. Just just refuse to go through. Yeah. Um. It's amazing what steel can do. But um. Yeah. Just just buy the the like buy the good tungsten carbide tipped um, <laughs> <laughs> locksmith drill bits for that kind of stuff because you'll save yourself a million headaches. I am impressed with Sutton Viper Plus by the way mm. um, no they just, are good it's just the price difference between that and the TCT ones that you just can't go past it for the same performance well I mean the the thing is the same performance in uh, you'll you'll see the same performance in the ability to drill a hole through something but if you were trying for quality of hole um, you know for instance you know quality of size and if you were drilling a quite a thick material I would imagine that the Sutton would provide a much cleaner and much you know more accurate hole than um than the cheaper drill bits mainly because the cheaper drill bits will you know want to wander and you know may not be as sharp and therefore will leave a a rougher hole so Mm. it's all about application you know if you're trying to drill and then ream a hole for a a piston for instance you'll want to have a very high quality drill bit in order to get a very accurate hole on the topic of drill bits actually another tool that you do get which you pay for which is another thing that I find comically, un- I'm comically unlucky with, center punches. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a, a cheap center punch will dull on you quicker than owl snot. You want to get a high-end, really high-end center punch or make one yourself out of Make one yourself. We're, we're a blacksmith podcast, Alex. Yeah, that's Come right. on. I know. <laughs> I have it's made a, them myself. This is a pro- this is a project that all blacksmiths should do is make your own center punch. And you know why I say that is because I haven't done it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I haven't needed to, uh, granted I've had a really good center punch for a long time. 
Um, but I should make my own. I, I am comically bad at making tools for myself. I, I'm really, really bad at it. I've only just recently started taking one day a week for myself to do this. Uh, it's only been the last like three weeks that I've been doing it. So it hasn't been enough time to actually get out there and do it. So the, the center punch that actually ended up finding, Stefan will be really happy with me for this, is a German-engineered one. Um, and mm. it's been pretty good. And even that, I've had to repoint uh, three times. <laughs> I just yeah. I don't know what it is about me and set of punches, dulling set of punches. Like I'm like annealing stuff first and still just I don't Doesn't know. Doesn't like it. Um I'm like a comedy sketch. It's it's hilarious. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. yeah, no, um, Center Punch is a really good first project, uh, especially if you want to like put a twist in it or something like that, make it look cool. Mm. Um, you know, test out your abilities, do some tapers, you know, that kind of thing. It's a really good little uh, project, and it also gets you to try uh, try out heat treating, um, so you can do do your full heat treating regimen on it, and you know try and get the best result out of it. So for beginners and you know for more experienced smiths alike, it's a good project to do, and you will find that you'll use it a lot. Yeah. Um, actually, one of the things that most blacksmiths will use it for is marking uh, hot work. And one of the problems with most modern center punches that you buy from the hardware store and stuff like that is that they tend to be very short, (laughs) which means that your hand has to be right next to the very, very hot stuff. Mm -hmm. So making your own, which is, you know. Yeah, that's right. And if you make it long enough, you can use it as an alliance. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. It's called a lance. Hello. <laughs> Hello. That was, that was a great movie. Fantastic movie. Western Australian boy. Friggin' Heath Ledger. May he rest in peace. Brilliant mm-hmm. actor. His performance in The Joker was just stunning. His performance in... As the, as the Joker for The Dark Knight. The, the Dark Knight, yeah. Because yeah. now there is The Joker movie. I yeah, mean, that's that right. Yeah. Joker and Phoenix. Yaki and Phoenix did a, a good job as well. Um, but... Heath Ledger will always be the Joker for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah, he, he grew up like 30 minutes down the road from me. From the Did he? Heath Ledger. Yeah. Right. I lived next door to an old family friend of his um, and was living next to him um, when Heath Ledger died. He was very hard hit by it, poor guy. Yeah, no, it sucked. Mm. Oh, he, was a Gil- he was a Guilford grammar boy. Private school. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. No wonder but, he wanted uh, to play an anarchist. Yeah, that's it. But yeah, so um, hopefully this is uh, this discussion has made it very, very clear, clear as mud, uh, that sometimes you can buy expensive stuff and sometimes you can't. I, yeah, I really don't. <laughs> sometimes know you would... want to spend money. Sometimes you don't have to spend money. Is what Sam is yeah, trying that's to it. say. I mean, at the end of the day, you can, you know, like any tool that you have is better than a tool that you don't have. Mm. Um, if you need to do a job, then a cheap tool is better than no tool. Yeah. But if you're planning to get into this and you're planning on getting the best results and having less time screaming and throwing things around the workshop because something went wrong, uh, then we highly advise saving up the money to just get that little bit better. Yeah. Um, and like as we've covered, there are a couple of things where you can skimp and you can, you know, get away with uh, less, even as a professional. But um, there are some things that you just can't. Yeah. 
On a another note, before we wrap this up and put a bow on it for the evening, I have been seeing some spectacular contributions to the Forgecast Challenge this month. I just wanted to actually take a moment to highlight this. Like, when we put this challenge out, we knew it was probably the the most single most difficult challenge that we've put out there the people's submissions that we have seen have been jaw-droppingly awesome i have been inspired seeing what you guys have been coming up with making these scissors it is incredible absolutely it's been absolutely fantastic to see i am um, i only realized recently that you can follow hashtags on instagram yes, oh yeah i'm that I'm that much of a technophobe. So <laughs> I went and followed the Forgecast challenge hashtag yep. uh, rather, rather than having to manually search it. So now your your submissions will come up in my feed. Uh, Some people is, have been privately messaging us videos too, which is a bit of a shame because everybody else doesn't get to see it. But Yeah. No, be proud. You know, yeah. show, it, show it off. Some people are like, oh, they're not very good. And I'm like, but dude, you still made functional scissors. That is that's, cool. <laughs> and that's it. And I don't get to see them because I don't have access to the Forgecast Instagram page. No, I hoard them like a like a <laughs> dragon. <laughs> I don't I don't know if anyone's noticed, but all of the videos that come out from the Forgecast page are all of Alex. And there's a reason for that because he curates that. So because if you're I'm sending- a social media whore. If you're sending the Forgecast page messages, I can't see them. <laughs> but if you do I, send emails, then Sam can see them. I yes, we both have access to that. So uh, yeah, if you if you want me to see what you're working on, then you have to you know either put it out in public under the Forgecast challenge hashtag, or you can email it to us at ask.forgecast at gmail That's right. But yeah, no. It's, it's been fantastic and uh, there have been some amazing uh, contributions and I'm so happy to see that the Forgecast challenge uh, hashtag is not dead because uh, I was worried that it was for a while. <laughs> we just needed a more interesting challenge. I really but, thought yeah, this was apparently... going to exclude people, but it hasn't. It's brought everybody on board. <laughs> apparently we needed to get, give you guys a, a harder challenge and uh, okay, challenge accepted. So prepare uh... <laughs> your butts. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I thought the, the the basket twist within a basket twist was going to be, you know, a good challenge, but... Uh, from one piece. <laughs> yeah, from one piece. <laughs> yeah, I still don't think that's possible, but anyway. Yep. A reverse basket twist inside a basket twist from one piece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's entirely possible. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway... You should go and follow the the hashtag on Instagram if you do have an account. And while you're there, you should follow Sam. And where can you follow you? You can follow me at Samtown's Bladesmith. You can also find me under that on Facebook, Etsy, YouTube, Redbubble, Patreon, and the Kitchen Sink, as usual. You can find my good buddy Alex. I go by Valhalla Ironworks. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and Etsy and Patreon and all that other good stuff, including TikTok still. I haven't posted anything on there in ages. <laughs> it's a hole. It's a real hole. It's terrible. Well, I heard that Will Smith and The Rock have been doing big things over on TikTok recently. So, Oh, Terry Crews is on there, and frankly, Terry Crews' content is the only thing that makes me keep the app installed. <laughs> the man is a living treasure. He's just he great. <laughs> Anyway, guys, I hope you have enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you again for more Forgecast of Goodness in a week's time. Indeed. <laughs>
See you guys. Oh!